travel isn't more important than the climate and the future and you know the people that are already affected by it affected by it Alpaca pals, did you know that in Sweden, flying is not something to be proud of? Nowadays in Sweden, people do not post glam photos of themselves flying to their vacation destination. And that's because fly shame has shifted the way that Swedes view flying. Fly shame is exactly what it sounds like. It's the notion that you should feel guilty every time you board a plane. But why should we feel guilty? Okay. Let's back up and lay some groundwork for this discussion. Today, 97% of climate scientists agree that human activity is driving a climate crisis across the planet. The level of CO2 in our atmosphere has been rising since the Industrial Revolution, and now it's at the highest that it's ever been for the last 4 million years. And the rate at which it's rising is even more striking— Scientists say now that we are in uncharted territory. And we're already seeing the devastating consequences of climate change. Melting glaciers, rising seas, and stronger storms. In the future, we can expect stronger and more intense hurricanes, droughts, heat waves, and changes in precipitation patterns. The Arctic will become ice-free, and by the year 2100, sea levels will rise 1 to 4 feet higher. And because of this, we have to have a tough conversation. This is a travel podcast. Most of us, when we travel, have to fly. Flights produce greenhouse gases, mainly carbon dioxide, CO2, from burning fuel. And the CO2 contributes to global warming when released into the atmosphere. But how much of an impact are we talking? Well, an economy class return flight from London to New York emits an estimated 0.67 tons of CO2 per passenger. That's the equivalent to 11% of the average annual emissions of a person that lives in the UK. So, a couple of long-haul flights in economy class per year? That could result in double the output of emissions of an average British person. So today, we're going to talk fly shame with Evelina Uterdahl. Evelina is an environmentalist, a climate activist, and a sustainable traveler. I discovered her via Instagram years ago. I loved her honest posts about traveling sustainably as a solo woman. And then, a few years ago, Evelina publicly pledged to stop flying entirely. Yeah, she was the original Greta Thunberg. Now, she travels only over land. So before we get started, I want to let you know that this episode is part one of a two-part series on sustainable travel. This week, we're focusing on the impact of flying, and then next week, we'll dive into other aspects of sustainable travel. Is it possible to balance travel with climate responsibility? Let's find out. Yeah, so why have you decided to travel the world without flying? Well, basically, I... When I found out how high the emissions were for flights, I was so shocked. Like, I think most people know that flying is bad for the environment, but don't know how bad it is. And when I saw the numbers for the first time, to me, it was 
a no-brainer. I could not justify flying considering how high the emissions are. So I just decided the same day to to not fly anymore, even though I was a travel writer who's like on my way up in my career. Um, I thought, you know, it's not like traveling. Yeah, it's fun. And it's really cool to be able to live off of writing about travel. But travel isn't more important than the climate and the future and, you know, the people that are already affected by it. So to me, it was just really comes down to the emissions. Do you want to explain um, how the emissions work and like the actual amount that are released whenever you fly? Yeah, so uh, it really depends, like the numbers, it depends on where you, uh, like what calculator you use. And for a lot of the, the ones that maybe airlines use, they don't add radiative forcing, um, which is basically that when you would measure the emissions on ground level, that's what they use. But then when it's up in the air above a certain uh, height, they release, It's they're not quite sure, but the closest they've gotten to a number is like 1.9 times as much. So it's almost double. Mm. But some examples is if you fly from Scandinavia down to south of Europe and back, um, that's one ton of carbon, carbon dioxide. And that's the amount that we need to go down to per person per year for everything. So in one for, flight, you've, you've blown like what you should be emitting for an entire year. Yeah, exactly. Um, now in the Western uh, world, it's impossible to come down to one ton. Yeah. Because like society is not made for that kind of lifestyle, but we need to try to get as low as possible, basically. And like a lot of people who fly justify it by saying that they're vegan, for example. Um, which I'm vegan too, so I'm not hating on vegans, but uh, a lot of people justify it by saying they're vegan. And if you look at one year, if you go from like a normal meat eater uh, to a vegan, you save one ton, maybe one, Mm. two, depending on how heavy you are on the meat, but, um, and also like how um, conscious and environmentally conscious you are with your food as well as a vegan. But um, so basically, if you eat vegan for one year, that's about that's between half a ton up to like one, maybe one and a half if you buy exotic fruits and stuff. Who's <laughs> not that's not in season or grown in greenhouse gas in uh, greenhouses and stuff. But so basically. Yeah, just that one flight, and you've spent as much as your yearly budget is, which is like everything, not just the food that you eat, but the electricity you use, um, the uh, like the things that you consume, like products, mm. and your transportation in everyday life. If you have a car, or if you go by bus, um, and um, yeah, so I think most people 
who fly um, don't understand like how big the numbers are. Yeah. Um, in this episode, actually, we're going to share. I know the calculators aren't always that accurate, but I think it's a good exercise for everyone to like just actually sit down and punch it in to see yeah. the impact that they've had in one year. I did it myself recently and it was like very shocking and not pleasant. Like you look at it and you're like, wow, I did not realize how bad this actually was. It's like a calculator where you can put in how much you've traveled, like all your flights, and it'll tell you how much you've emitted in carbon. Um, So another thing that I've read about is how the way that you fly can also impact the amount of carbon that's emitted. Um, So I was reading that when you take off and land, that's when the most is emitted into the atmosphere. So they were saying that like taking short haul flights, if you're trying to cut down on your flying, that's a good starting place is to try to replace like a short haul flight. For example, here in Canada, like flying from Toronto to Montreal, instead of taking that one hour flight, take a train or take a bus. And that will have a huge impact because it's the takeoff and landing. And that's essentially all that you're doing on that flight is taking off and then landing. And then I was also reading that if you're in economy, the impact is less because you've taken up a lesser amount of space on the plane. And then the last thing I read was traveling light is better because the amount of weight will impact the amount of emissions. Is this all true? This is just stuff I pulled the internet yeah yeah um it is definitely um so as you said about the taking off and landing definitely that's where the most of it is so um i definitely agree that if it's like the short haul flights just try not to take them and then there are you know some people have to travel to the other side of the world because they have family there or because they have a job where they can't choose to fly or not fly and not everyone can change their job if they want to um so uh some people do have to fly long-haul flights and um and also if you do that maybe try to um take a direct flight instead of you know um having to uh, change a few times um and when it comes to like packing light I mean, sure, yeah, it's less, but it's the difference is so small. Mm. It's like if you're going to pack light to keep it eco-friendly when you fly, I mean. The impact isn't that tangible. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, this is something I wanted to ask you because like, I know I've lived in Europe myself and it's very easy to get around the continent because it's so well connected and I think for Canadians it's a bit of a struggle because I don't know if you've been to Canada but our connections are not as good as in Europe like there are places within our country that you have to fly unless you have like three weeks to travel on a bus and so it feels like a bit of a struggle here especially like I have family on the west coast And it's like, I wouldn't be able to see them if I couldn't fly. And so it's like, how do we find solutions for this? Do you think it's about 
creating like better train systems for larger countries? Oh, definitely. And I'm very aware of the situation in Canada and uh, the U.S. Um, and not only that there are not very good connections, but also, I mean, you guys drive everywhere. Mm-hmm. You don't really have the options um, to not. And also just the fact that it's normal for people to drive really far just to get to work. Whilst here, we try to, you know, keep our jobs close to where we live so we don't have to commute so much. Um, but definitely, I think one of the most important things we need to focus on is to uh, build up, like, the um, infrastructure. Um, and it's just like when, with all of these new electric vehicles, like electrical uh, cars, Sure, that's good, but we can't just, I mean, the solution is not to swap uh, the bad options for the better. We have to change our behavior. So we can't have one car each. Yeah. And also, like, when you look at it, uh, the average car, at least here in Sweden, it just stands still for 96% of its lifetime like of its life it just stands there because you know um we don't go that much and we maybe go uh, to and from work but we don't use the cars enough for it to make sense that everyone has their own and also the fact that people drive alone you know we need to look at stuff like renting cars when you need them instead Mm -hmm. and we need to yeah like the um uh, public transport needs to be better and also for like um, domestic uh, ways to get around the country um, car sharing I mean how many people drive past areas where their co-workers work who are going to the same place mm-hmm. and they all sit in their own cars Yeah. so we can't just swap one bad option for a good we have to literally change the way we do things and the way we see things like owning everything ourselves so i mean i i love public uh, transportation i i don't even have a driver's license and i won't get one unless i get into a situation where i live in a place where i'm kind of gonna have to Mm -hmm. um because I don't want to get that comfortable as I know friends with cars are. Yeah. Like to them, if they're just going to go to the, you know, grocery store to do their like big uh, shopping, they take their car. They take their car like everywhere because it's so easy. And because I don't have that option, I don't think about it. Mm-hmm. So to me, the public transportation, like the trams and buses and trains, those are the options that I'm used to and it's now like that for traveling further as well mm-hmm. like since flights are no longer an option for me I don't even think about that I just look at the options that I do have so um yeah I mean maybe it's not as comfortable <laughs> traveling by trains or buses than the yeah. plane that goes quicker but I mean we're so damn comfortable like humans, it's just human nature to want to do things that are easy. We're lazy by nature. 
But that's such and a good point you make about the car because I've noticed this. I also don't have a license. Like I cycle everywhere, but I'm I'm living in Toronto. So here it's possible to live that way. I can access everything that I need, my groceries, my doctor, like everything is within walking or cycling distance, which isn't the case for most of Canada. But I have friends in other cities who, like you said, for them, if they go shopping, they'll get in their car and drive across the city. And I think it's just mentality. It's like, because they can, that's what they end up doing. It's almost like you create this um, like realm in which you center your life. And everything that's accessible to you, like if you don't have a car, will be in a smaller space, which is how it's how it is for me. Like my grocery store, I go to the closest one. I don't like think about traveling to go get my groceries. But again, it's about like habit and what you're comfortable with and what you've like allowed yourself to become comfortable with. But um, it's not possible like everywhere. But I think in cities, like I do become really frustrated in Toronto um, with the amount of people who insist on driving to work. And it's like we have public transport. There's no, you don't need to. It actually would be faster for you to take public transport. But a lot of people just can't let go of that like comfort of driving their car. Exactly. Yeah, it's frustrating. But I like, I never thought about it that way because if I'm honest, like the thought of, quitting flying is very scary but when I think about it in the context of like no it'll just be a change it'll just like change the way I look at travel and the way that I think about like destinations it'll just become smaller I guess which isn't as scary I mean yes and no I mean smaller if you look at it on a like on a bigger scale but if you just look closer I mean you live in Canada, I live in Sweden, which are two of like the most beautiful countries in the world. Yeah. I mean, a lot of places are beautiful. <laughs> but um, I've noticed this myself, that when I start looking into Sweden and places close by, there are so many places that are gorgeous, that are incredible, that I've never been to because I've gone further away because that's more exotic and more exciting but um i mean also with that it's also a way that we kind of need to change our mindset and maybe instead of you know going for a week or two weeks vacation every now and then and living a life where i just can't wait for the next trip maybe try to i don't know use your weekends to go out into nature or to go somewhere that's not too far away. So you do like small weekend trips more often instead. And then maybe you won't have that urge. And also trying to live a life where, you know, you're not so stressed that you need to get away and just... So also that's not... It's not just about uh, switching from planes to trains, it's also about shifting the mindset on how we look at things and, you know, how we do it. And, uh, I mean, honestly, I could, I could travel only in Sweden for the rest of my life and still not have seen, like, half of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Sweden's so much smaller than Canada. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Katie. Yeah? Guess what? What? We have a sponsor. What? 
First sponsor ever. Okay, here's the real question. Did you know that toothpaste tubes end up in landfills? I did know this. Yeah, and once they're there, they take a very, very, very long time to biodegrade. I didn't even think that they even did biodegrade. They might not even. Plastic, I thought, sticks around forever. Pretty much does, and that is not a good thing. And the thing about it is once it does break down, it's just in smaller particles. It's not actually gone. No. So toothpaste tubes, not a good thing. This is why when Toothbites by Oxygenate reached out to us, we were like, sure, we'll feature you on our sustainability episodes because we think what you're doing is great. Um, So they're addressing this problem by making a toothpaste tablet that's made with natural ingredients and it comes in zero waste packaging. Um, Have you ever used a toothpaste tablet before, Katie? I have once before. It was a new experience, but... I didn't hate it. Yeah, it is different. I think it's like one of those things where you're just, you grew up your entire life using like toothpaste in the traditional way. And so using a chewable tablet is just, it's abnormal. It's, it takes getting used to. But so much easier to pack and go. Exactly. And I will say it's great for travel. I'm going to be bringing them on my trip to India in May. I'm super excited because I think it'll take up less space and it'll be easier to get through the airport with tablets instead of a paste. Anyways, so you pop it in your mouth, you give it a quick chew, and then you brush away as per normal. So Oxygenate created Toothbites because they wanted to oxygenate the earth by minimizing waste. In fact, they told me that their goal is to help prevent 74.82 million toothpaste tubes from ending up in Canadian landfills. So, Canadian Alpaca Pals, head over to www.oxygenate.ca to order your zero waste toothbites today. Wait, wait, Katie, was was that good? Was I good at that? Yeah, I think you killed it. Oh yes. I practiced a lot. With me right here. I just, I feel like we've really made it now because someone's like, ooh, I'm going to sponsor you. I know, it's exciting. Okay, okay. All right, back to the show. Another point I wanted to ask you about, and like, this is again about the mentality thing. Because when I think about like a trip that I did in India, my partner and I didn't want to fly because we just, we were like, no, traveling here is interesting. Like taking the trains is actually part of the experience. And so we made a point of traveling across the entire country by train. And that was like the trip. That was what we enjoyed doing. Like it was actually part of the experience of travel. And I think that people would benefit from thinking that way as well. Like if you're going to travel across Canada, maybe like the destination that you're trying to reach is very far. But if you can treat the actual travel, like overland travel, as part of the experience, then it just becomes part of the fun rather than thinking of it like, oh, I have to go through all this like terrible bus rides and like train rides to reach my destination. And I think that's something that people like don't think about a lot because in India, after that trip, that became like the thing that was most exciting for us and the thing that we remember the most about that trip was like the rides we took on trains. It actually became part of the travel experience. I remember when you traveled from Sweden to Iran following your journey on Instagram and was like, it's almost like the 
the journey from Sweden to Iran was the most interesting part. Like Iran was beautiful, yeah. but like watching you <laughs> document your long journey was so cool. Yeah, I mean, so when people ask me, oh, how long did it take to get to Iran from Sweden? I'm like, well, I mean, the time on like transportation was about 100 hours, but like the journey took three and a half weeks. Yeah. But, you know, I stopped in small towns I've never been to before, uh, visiting friends in these like beautiful places I haven't been before and spent two weeks in Greece. One of those weeks was sailing in the Greek islands. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, absolutely. And that's also what I try to tell people, you know, if they're going somewhere, um, you know, make, make it a journey, take the, if it's far, then stop and do like stopovers in some of the places where you, uh, change your train or bus and do like one or two days there. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, it's going to be the first time they go there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it also, um, um, as you asked before, like what you can do in Canada with the, um, with the transportation and stuff, I can really see it here. Like the, the higher the demand is for something like things will change because with everything in our capitalist society, it's about supply and demand. Mm -hmm. You know, when people start changing what they want, just like in Sweden, when you go to the grocery store, there's so much organic because that's what people want. That's what they buy. Also, I see so many people saying, oh, I fly. I can't stop the planes from flying. I'm like, yeah, but you encourage other people to stop buying plastic or meat because you want to affect the markets and the industries. It's the same with the airlines, you know? Yeah. It's also if an industry that, flights. you know, yeah. <laughs> works from you know, the demand from customers. Yeah. Um, that came up in our animal tourism conversation too. Yeah. So we interviewed a journalist from National Geographic. Her name is Natasha Daly. And we were talking with her about wildlife tourism. Um, obviously, it's very problematic in a lot of places, the way that animals are pulled from the wild to be used as tourist attractions. And one of her greatest points was that it is about supply and demand. When tourists stop wanting this experience, the animals will not be pulled for it. So it's about like telling the industry what you want and don't want with your own actions and your money. It's like one of the only things we can do. Yeah. And I mean, it does work. I mean, especially in Sweden, where I guess it kind of started with this fly shame or flight free thing where like the discussion started. We have, you know, concert halls that no longer fly in uh, musicians. They only use locals. Uh, we have like um, guides who do like outdoor experiences who won't take customers who've flown there. Um, I mean, just recently I worked with the Irish Tourism Board and they specifically wanted me to write a guide on how to get from Scandinavia to Ireland without flying because they noticed that there's a demand for it. Oh. And, you know, so the more pressure we put on it, things are changing. 
Um, That's so interesting. I didn't know that this was more common in Sweden because in Canada, like fly shame is not really, no one really discusses it. I wouldn't say it's like a big part of the uh, discussion when it comes to climate change. But it seems like in Sweden it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like people can't mention that they're flying on vacation without joking was he like hashtag fly shame or you know before anyone else can say something or um you know some people no longer post pictures from their holidays like if they've flown far um and uh yeah i mean it's been on the news a bunch of times like i've been on both like swedish and norwegian tv talking about this um on like like the main channels like and um yeah no here it's a it's a big thing and you can definitely tell that things are changing and just looking like a year back some friends or family members who would like never consider quitting flying they just made that connection and now they won't fly or at least try not to when there's a possibility to do another option or, you know, um, yeah, it's really a big thing here. How did it, um, I guess you've seen it evolve as a sort of like sociocultural movement. How did it start? Like, can you pin it down to a specific moment in time when this became like public knowledge? Um, at least from when I started noticing it, um, was was like the time when I decided to quit traveling. There was like two um, articles uh, in a very short time uh, where um, people were talking about there. Just one of them, which was the one where I that maybe quit flying was she. This was in January two thousand and eighteen, and she had just uh, returned from a trip to Bali and realized that she had already used uh, like two tons of her like budget Mm. and it was only January. And then the other one was a man who just um, been on a trip to, I think it was like Kenya or something and how him and his daughter were snorkeling and uh, his daughter was like, the corals don't look like in the movies. Like they're not colorful and how he then made this like connection of how them going there and seeing these like dying coral reefs is connected to them flying, you know, with the effects. Um, and yeah, it's kind of started coming from, from that. Um, I didn't follow too much because I wasn't really in Sweden uh, then like I traveled and didn't get back until the fall. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of when it started and uh, so it just people started joined. talking about it more. So it joined the media cycle and then from there just snowballed, I guess. Yeah, and like some initiatives, like there's one um, called We Stay on the Ground, uh, which has these like flight-free 2019 or flight-free 2020 where we encourage, I say we because I'm part of it, um, we encourage people to take just one year off of flying. Like, of course, it's good if you want to do more, but to just take one year 
to try it out. Uh, and also, like, if at any time, like, to people listening to this, you know, if at any time in your life that you tr- do not fly for, like, a year or two, this is the time because we are literally running out of time before we hit, you know, the point of no return. So if at any time, just now, you know, one or two years or five, but yeah. And then um, there was also this Instagram account that totally blew up and it was called something like oblivious influencers. And they would like repost pictures of different influencers um, and like writing the amount of emissions of all of their flights and, you know, basically calling out these influencers who are and famous people who are Swedish ones who are just flying like crazy. Like some of them, they did like a calculation of their yearly flying. And, you know, some of them were like 35 or 50 tons a year just for the flights. Mm. Um, so that became really big, like that account totally blew up and um, also, again, got into the news and stuff. So I actually wanted to ask you about like the travel influencing craze. We do talk about that pretty often on the podcast. Like I'm not a fan of travel influencing. It's not really journalism. <laughs> um, yeah. And I feel like a lot of these influencers really glorify flying like posting images of them in first class, like on these comped flights. And I find it so ironic because like you mentioned before, a lot of them do claim that they're like minimizing their plastic use or that they're vegan. And then, but what like conflicting message are you sending to people then? Like it's just give and take like here and there. If you're vegan, it's okay. You don't have responsibility elsewhere in your life. Um, oh, and there are so many more things I have issues about that. Like, also, a lot of them who do this, who are, like, big influencers, they all stay at these luxury resorts that are owned by some international company. So they are using – so when it comes to sustainability and sustainable travel, like, sustainability is both, like, for, like, environmental, it's called, like, social and economical Mm -hmm. and so I'm also interested in you know when you travel somewhere your money should go to the people who live in the area that you are going Mm -hmm. so I always try to find places so that I live with places that are uh, locally owned whether it's restaurants or accommodation Um, because when you go somewhere and you stay in these you know massive resorts and you are making someone rich who is using land in an area and you know all of these resources and stuff are affecting these places like we can see all these touristic places that are just there's so much plastic and how the amount of people are destroying you know the nature and the animal life in the area and stuff so that's also something like a lot of these travel influencers, they just travel and take cool pictures mm-hmm. in like luxury places and cool nature. Yeah. And it just, I mean, I guess I was, 
kind of similar, although I never really stayed in luxury places. I always stayed in hostels, but yeah, I don't um, think like before I kind of made that connection, you know, I want, if you travel somewhere and you kind of use that place or, you know, you're a guest there, um, you need to make sure that you leave the place no worse than when you got there, preferably, preferably better by, you know, helping out or giving back to the community in some way and making sure that your money goes there because not only with these um like international resorts that take all the money they are also um, making it harder for the local businesses to run their businesses because um you know they the tourists eat at the resort and they stay at their resort they buy their uh, souvenirs there and stuff and the locals just stand there and see how their place is totally being destroyed and used and they get nothing they only get their home destroyed yeah yeah so chatting with evelina has made me feel a bit guilty. I realize that I've always sort of glamorized flying. And I think this is an attitude that I personally need to shift, but that we also need to shift like on a cultural level. Flying, first of all, is only glamorous for me because it usually means that I'm heading to a destination, which usually means I'm going to have fun. It means vacation, but this is not the case for everyone. Like we discussed in our episode with Peppermint about what it's like to travel trans, airports and flights can be highly stressful for others. Ethnic minorities and non-binary folks are often subject to interrogation and questioning in airports. I think our responsibility to the climate presents another aspect of the guilt that I feel about glamorizing flying. Every time that I fly, I add to the disproportionate amount of CO2 that I'm contributing to the ozone. And I need to consider this more when I'm choosing my modes of transport. I'm definitely guilty of taking short-haul flights when I could easily have taken a train or a bus instead. So, moving forwards, I'm going to try to actively opt for overland travel instead of flights, especially for short trips. Alright, so... The reality is that we are going to need to fly. There's no way we can ever like entirely remove the need for planes. And so on that note, what can we do to reduce the impact of our flights? So here's some tips. Pack lightly. More weight equals more emissions. Research the plane that you're flying because newer models of planes are more efficient. Therefore, they'll emit less. So if you can go with an airline that's flying newer models, that is a good thing. Fly economy class. Less space per seat means that you account for a smaller portion of the plane's pollution. This doesn't make a huge difference, but it is worth considering if you tend to opt for first or business class. It's important to remember that takeoff and landing emits the most emissions. Therefore, direct flights have less of an impact. Short-haul journeys have more of an impact. That's because the flight essentially is takeoff and landing. So if you're aiming to reduce your flying, cut out short-haul flights and replace them with overland travel like trains or buses.
Before we wrap up today, I want to touch on something that I think is really important when talking about sustainability, especially for those of us living in the Western Hemisphere. And that is that the concept of sustainability itself points to privilege. Here in the West, sustainable choices are very accessible. For example, choosing to be vegan in Canada is possible because we have the food and resources to support a vegan diet. But in other regions around the world where food resources are more limited, it might not be viable to live healthily as a vegan. Around the globe, sustainability might look different. The solutions we are pursuing here in Canada, for example, might not make sense in other countries. And the people living in those countries are the people best suited to making those decisions. While traveling, I think it's important to keep this in mind and try to be empathetic to diversified approaches to sustainability. All right, Alpaca Pals, that's it for now. Be sure to tune in for part two of our sustainability series, which will focus on other ways to reduce your impact while traveling. This episode is going to feature Evelina again, and we're also going to bring in a new guest, Greg Hill. He's an athlete and adventurer in British Columbia, Canada, and he uses an electric car to get around, even on rugged terrain. Alpaca My Bags is hosted and written by me, Erin Hines, and it's produced by the wonderful Katie Lore here in Toronto. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at, at @alpacamybagspod. Before we go, Katie and I wanted to send a very special shout out to some of our listeners who've been showing us some extra love by sending us messages, leaving us ultra kind reviews, and talking to their friends about the podcast. We love you guys. So special thank you goes to Denise, Zach, Marco, Mary, and Tommy. All right, Alpaca Pals, I hope you get to alpaca your bags again soon. And if you can, take that train instead of the plane.